In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is not a test, but I want you to think about these verses or these phrases I'm going to read to you and see if you know which ones are in the Bible or at, le- or, or, or are at least biblical and which one is not. So, first one, love your neighbor as yourself. Or how about do no wrong to the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. God helps those who help themselves. Bloom where you are planted. Well, the first three are directly from the Bible. The last two are not. I'm pretty sure you knew that bloom where you are planted is from Hallmark, not not the Bible. Um, But it's actually the theme of today's message from Jeremiah, bloom where you are planted. He's giving this message to exiles in Babylon in today's reading. But before he says that, he warns the people of Israel, or the people of Judah, actually, whose capital is in Jerusalem. He warns them many times over and over that because of their idolatry, because they are not honoring the Sabbath day, because they are doing injustice to the poor, especially the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants, God is going to bring a conqueror on them who will destroy what they thought would never be destroyed, and that is the temple. God lived in that temple or put his presence in that temple, and so they thought that was a pretty sure thing. For his words, he has been mocked. He's had a death sentence. He's been imprisoned, and in a few chapters, he will be put in a cistern, which is sort of like 5th century BCE, solitary confinement, only really yucky. It's a hole dug in the ground to hold water. There's no water there while he's there, but there's mud. And it all happened. All the things he said would, would happen did happen. And the first batch of exiles have already been taken to Babylon. And to these people, Jeremiah writes a prophetic letter, which we read today. It says, I won't read you the whole thing, but what he says is, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Remember, that's Babylon. Seek the welfare of that city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Well, I'm about halfway through Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward, and because of that, I see everything through that lens. In fact... Today, when I was sitting in this chair, uh, this morning, uh, seeing this chair, the reader, the lector, read the second letter to Timothy, and when she got to the end where it says, don't wrangle about words, she kind of looked startled, 
And I laughed because I thought, first half of life, first half of life spirituality. Richard Rohr observes that most people go through two stages of spirituality. And the first one is where you are establishing who you are. You're eager, you're competitive, you're seeking a home and making a home and an identity. You're getting a job and maybe a family. You may be also getting revenge or getting even. I remember an earlier time in my life, thank goodness it's way in the past, when, when people had been bad to me three times, I got even. I was very pa uh, patient and it was always appropriate consequences. It wasn't just letting the air out of their tires. No, it was appropriate <laughs> to what they had done to me. I don't do that anymore. Um, but anyway, that was first half of life, definitely. But then later, oftentimes after the kids are gone, or we're just older and we've been battered a little bit, people begin to consider what they want to do now at this time of their life. They, do, they no longer crave the five-bedroom house. They no longer get a car every year. They begin to consider what they really and truly want out of life, and they begin to consider what they can contribute to life. This more reflective time can also be brought on by suffering, and some of you may know about that. Many people who suffer, especially if it's fairly long, learn not to care so much about the things they cared about earlier, before their loss, before their suffering, or before, as Rohr calls it, before their fall. Rohr continues by saying that when one suffers or loses or falls well, one eventually goes up, and hence the title, Falling Upward. One begins to recognize, as Julian of Norwich did, that the fall and the rising are the mercy of God. The Apostle Paul, who is the purported author of the epistle today, you know, when I was younger, Paul wrote everything. And then slowly but surely, more and more things have been taken away from him. They're even debating whether he wrote Galatians now. But anyway, he is supposed to be the author of 2 Timothy. But he writes in Galatians, you have heard how savagely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. This is first half of life, Saul. And how in the practice of our national religion, I was outstripping many of my Jewish contemporaries in my boundless devotion to the traditions of my ancestors. That's Saul before he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus. But then in an act of grace, Jesus stopped Saul, changed his name to Paul, blinded him temporarily, and called this man to a new life as an apostle. And after Paul, after that, Paul counted everything that he had gloried in before, circumcised on the eighth day, a Jew by birth, 
a Pharisee legally, a tribe of Benjamin member. He counted all of that as garbage, not worth anything compared to the second half of life mission that he had. From then on, he preached justification by faith and the mercy of God, which he knew he had received. Well, I was behind for two weeks in the Bible challenge, which is in the book of Jeremiah. And so I caught up this week. I have been steeped in Jeremiah, but I've also been steeped in Jeremiah's opponents. His opponents are first half of life spirituality people, according to Roar's description. They want to organize. They want to fight Nebuchadnezzar. They want to rebel. And they hate it that Jeremiah says, go into exile peacefully. Bloom where you're planted. They hate it. And now here is Jeremiah saying to them, I told you so. I warned you, and you didn't believe me. But now that it has happened, now that you have lost everything, bloom where you are planted. Live full lives. Build houses. Plant gardens. Marry and have children. And and pray for the city you are exiled in. Your own welfare depends on the welfare of that city, so pray for it. And then a little further on in the same chapter, Jeremiah tells them that God will bring them back to the land in 70 years. None of the people he's writing to will probably live that long. But in 70 years, their descendants will come back. And he also tells them that God's purpose for them is not misfortune. His purpose for them is prosperity. Jeremiah has suffered a lot already in chapter 29 as a prophet. He is clearly a second half of life spirituality person. He is mellow and he is serene, but not stupidly so. He remembers all that God has done for Israel, bringing them out of Egypt. I was stunned, and maybe some of you noticed, verse five of the Psalm is one of those references back to being brought out of Egypt. It's all over what we call the Old Testament. They never forgot that, the Jews. They remembered that everywhere. Jeremiah remembers that God had brought judges and helped them back then, and that God gave them a king when they demanded a king. Jeremiah is not a blindly hopeful prophet. He's not Pollyanna saying, I'm sure everything will turn out just fine. No, he remembers. He remembers that God was good to them, and so he can prophesy honestly that God will be good again. Bloom where you are planted. Live full lives wherever you are and pray for the place or the situation that you are exiled to. I wonder, I wonder if any of you are in exile right now. Did you perhaps plan to live a long life with a spouse that you loved, and then the spouse died? Or sometimes, really, it's even worse 
if that beloved spouse left you for someone else. Did you plan to have a house full of grandchildren when you got to be a certain age? And then your only child died. And there will never be grandchildren in your house. Do you have that kind of exile? Did you perhaps count on a good retirement from a company that it had given you a good job, and then the company went bankrupt, and the retirement that you'd been building up is gone, and the only insurance that you can count on is Social Security? Maybe your body has betrayed you and you are in exile in your own body that is not behaving the way it has behaved before. Maybe politically you feel that you are in exile right now. But if you do, I can tell you that you have neighbors who felt just that way in the previous administration. If you feel that you are in exile in one of the ways I mentioned or in another way that applies just to you, if you feel that you are far from home for any reason, I invite you to think hard about the people of Judah who lost everything before they were led to a foreign and a pagan country where they bloomed for 70 years. I invite you to think of a way that you might react that's stable and calm and trusting in God. That you might react in a second half of life spirituality way. How might you bloom even in exile? Several years ago, maybe five, I had two pots of petunias on the ground by the four or five stairs that go up to the porch at the cottage. I only had them one year, and after the, they expired, I pulled them out and put in mums, which are still growing. And usually, I even brought a show and tell. Usually, I pull weeds out of cracks in the sidewalk. It's usually clover and grass, but sometimes it's elm trees. Do any of you have a bunch of these things growing in your flower pots? One day, there was this plant in a crack in the sidewalk that wasn't grass, wasn't clover, had too big leaves to be those kinds of weeds, and so I let it grow. It was by the it's right by my door, next to a great big two-foot-high concrete flower pot that has a fern in it and has never had anything else but ferns. This plant grew and grew and grew in the crack, and we had a lot of rain, so it was thriving, until it got to be about this tall, and then it had a bud. It was going to bloom, and when it bloomed, it turned out to be a brilliant pink petunia. One blossom, not standing upright like this, but 
bent over because it barely had any roots and it was really short and that blossom was heavy. But it was beautiful, just beautiful, blooming in a crack in the sidewalk. Well, I took a picture of that bloom, that first bloom, and sent it to one of the strongest women I know. And I texted her, this is you. And it was, struggling and living and blooming, making beauty in a place where nothing should have grown. It finally died. The summer got hotter and hotter, and I couldn't keep up with it because it dried out in just a matter of hours. But that petunia can be you. The people of Judah can be you, or you can be them. You can do what the Jews did. They listened to Jeremiah, and they remembered that God had done a lot of wonderful things for them, and so they could trust that God would do something wonderful for them again. You can do like the Jews. You can mourn, because they did mourn. I left that part out, but they didn't just go, oh, good, we're going to Babylon. They were devastated, and they mourned. But then they got busy, and they planted gardens, and they built homes, and they lived a full and grateful life in the spot where God had planted them. Amen. Amen.